Welcome to the Spy Who Raised Me podcast. Conversations between a daughter and her father. Yes, you've guessed it. He was a spy. My name's Jane Craigie and I'm here with my dad, Ian Craigie. The purpose of this podcast really is to capture the conversation between me and my dad and to talk about some of his experiences, some of the family's experiences and to paint a picture of some of our upbringing and, and just of the man that dad is. He's, he's very adventurous, he's very people orientated and he's always loved travel and it's something that's rubbed off very much on me. Um, so. A couple of the places that we went on holiday as kids were <laughs> Afghanistan and Gallipoli. So that kind of gives a little bit of background and flavour to Dad and his spirit of adventure, um, which even though he's now 81, he behaves like a 40-year-old and still has that spirit of adventure. And I'm sitting here with him in the northeast of Scotland on a sofa drinking coffee. And I'm going to start by asking him a little bit uh, to introduce himself and, and to tell us a little bit about his early life, where he was born and um, where he was brought up. So, Dad. Yeah, I'm, as Jane says, I'm 81-year-old. Um, I think you could say I'm retired, but I still lead a very active life. And... Um, here in the northeast of Scotland, we're sitting in this sunroom near Tariff, basking in the sunshine, which is wonderful at this time of year. Um, so yeah, so I was born in in um, southern Rhodesia, as it was then, in 1938, 8th of September. And uh, I think probably a lot of that a uh, year, I was a year and a half, I think, when we came back to uh, Scotland. My father had gone there originally in 1933 um, with, uh, with uh, my mother. And um, he, uh, they decided at the beginning of the war to, to, come, uh, to come back. But he was there for a number of years, and that was a... That was quite a normal thing for people from the north of Scotland, um, especially the rural areas, to go to uh, Rhodesia, as it was then, Harare. And there's a lot happening in, in Africa at that time, setting up um, farms and farming in infrastructure and so on. He had, he had been preceded by Hamish, his brother, who had... Uh, uh, suffered from asthma and one of the common places for doctors to send sufferers with uh, asthma was to was to Rhodesia so he went out there early in the 30s and he got involved very much in setting up the agricultural scene in, um, uh, in uh, Rhodesia um, anyway and um, just, just uh, prior to war in 1939 uh, my father decided to come back uh, to the UK with the family Grant was the eldest uh, Jean was second um, 
and I was the third. Um, subsequently, another another sister was born in uh, in uh, Scotland. So we set off on the Warwick Castle, Cunard liner that used to ply between between a fading empire and India, and um, Southampton, uh, and it it. Um, it used to, I think that was the only route it plied, is backwards and forwards there. And so anyway, we we uh, caught the train, crossed the Kalahari Desert, into Cape Town, and um, we have we have a copy of the of the passenger list. In fact, so there were the Craigie family and a number of other people, some who had come from uh, India. So we got back to to. Uh, a country that was riven with the the uh, start of a a war, and um, uh, Kingston in well Archert, first of all, a little thatch cottage in in uh, the northeast of Scotland. We found uh, quite quickly, and uh, we rented that first. It was it was a pokey little place. With a thatched roof, um, no toilet, uh, no heating, and one bedroom for between three between, kids, between three and kids, two adults. yes. Wow. Uh, and uh, so we we settled down there. My my uh, dad went to work as an engineer. And then, at the onset of war, he was posted to Palestine, which is a uh, Quite, quite an interesting place, uh, place to be. But and, you, uh, and your dad, sorry to interrupt you, dad, mm-hmm. but your dad was called Naylor Craigie. Naylor, yes, he was called uh, Naylor Craigie. He was brought up in Rothes. Like the Craigie uh, family um, had uh, roots going back, I think, three generations in uh, Rothes. We settled in Archart, very, very uh, rural, small village the school uh, traditional Scottish uh, Scottish village um, we were affected a little by the by the war because when when the German bombers uh, had had been on raids further south in Glasgow and I, I guess in England too they used to come back and and jettison their bombs and and apparently Urquhart um, was sort of an, uh, under the flight path of these bombers and occasionally they would drop a bomb and you would hear this muffled uh, explosion during the night so we were evacuated <laughs> from Marquette <laughs> <from> <laughs> about two miles up the road to, to this uh, elderly lady um, Rose her name was her surname was and and she was she was typical of that era. She 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 used to she used to make tatties from the from the local farmer, and uh, she used to shoot um, uh, deer, roe deer. That, that kept you fed. That that's all the food you had. Yes, we we had. Uh, it was very difficult to get food. Of course, that was prior to rationing and so on. But it was just uh, um, fairly desperate because you had to live from hand to mouth, and uh, 
It, uh, so that was for, I think we we stayed with Elsie Rose, her name was for two years. Uh, and um, it was an odd experience because in that, that generation were very hospitable and, you know, nothing like these days if people are fostered and so on, it's quite, it's quite a big issue. They just said, okay, yes, come in and, and looked after us and, and so on. And eventually, uh, at the end of the war, my father came back and uh, we stayed in Acha, by which time we had a toilet. <laughs> One of my early memories is 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 uh, going up the garden. We had quite a big garden at the back of the at the back of the cottage, and all the other uh, inhabitants of the village did the same as we did. That was dig a hole and uh, empty the empty the bucket, which was normally outside in a shed. And then you had to then remember where your last dug, so as you didn't get this. <laughs> and we and we had uh, we had a neighbour called Mrs. Middleton who was quite nosy, and she used to she used to look over the fence and say, "No, you cannot put it there. You did that last last week." <laughs> so we had to so we had to shuffle around and then have a conference to find out. Who dug the last hole and where it was? <laughs> <laughs> I should imagine Dad knowing you, you had a bit of fun with that. That was that was good fun. Yes, it was good fun. But uh, that uh, improved quite quickly over a period of five years. And I can remember the first toilet that uh, went in. It had no uh, plumbing at first, so we we were uh, we had to we had to be careful. We didn't. Uh, steal a quick pee in the in the toilet with no water and then we got <laughs> we, we got smacked and told not to do that but yeah no it was uh, it was uh, a, a different era and it was an agricultural area so i i reckon agricultural land fishing was the mainstay of that of that area and the school the school we often reminisce about those of us who are still gonna still um, on the go and uh, the school the school was uh, a small school uh, in a village of probably how many children would have been in the village I'd have thought 30 children perhaps and uh, so we used to I think there was one class sometimes two depending on whether we had one or two teachers and we used there's no paper no pencils so we used um, slate uh, slates for writing on and uh, and slate pencils they were called little hard uh, sharply pointed uh, bits of slate it was so we, we scribed on that and was that dad because there was no supplies after no the supplies war? yes no supplies no paper no pencil no no so uh, so anyway we had uh, that was quite funny because you had to have one of the disciplines of the school was that you had to fill a little box with a with a rag a wet rag so that every monday morning the teacher who was who was called miss thompson she was, <laughs> she was quite strict and she she had funny glasses you know like little glasses round glasses and she would say children open your boxes 
So you'd open your boxes to make sure that your uh, your uh, box had water in it, so you could wipe it. But there was one boy who was who was a farmer, a farmer son, and he always used to forget to fill his box uh, to dampen his cloth. So he used to pee in his box. <laughs> <laughs> And his name was Jimmy Peter. I mean, I think he died a long time ago, so he won't mind me saying it. But uh, so he used to get uh, every other Monday, he would get told off by Miss Thompson and say, "Jimmy Peter, you must not pee in your box. You <laughs> must." So, uh, but it didn't make any difference. Yeah, he always came in with this. So, so that was school um, in a in a village, and uh, the the we moved from there. After I think it was about five years, and moved to uh, a village in uh, close to um, Elgin, closer to Elgin. It was on the estuary of the River Spey, um, and my father bought a house there. But the interesting thing about Kingston was it was it was a dead end. No school. The school was in the neighbouring uh, village of Garmouth. Uh, and in the 1850s, two uh, entrepreneurs from Kingston upon Hull in England saw a huge opportunity for building ships in in the village of Kingston on of Spey. Kingston on Spey. Yeah, so so they came out and built um, built two wonderful houses for themselves because they, you know they were. Crofter houses, little cotter houses, very small, uh, and that was one the house that we lived in for uh, when we moved from Achert. So that was when did they build those houses? 1800s. That was, yes, 1800s. So and what they did was check it out, Google it. It's well worth a, a look. And uh, they came and there was no supply of wood, and uh, the road system wasn't very good. So they decided that. They could set up a, a shipbuilding company in this little village uh, on the estuary of this bay. So um, they went upstream, uh, having done some some um, detective work beforehand, and they found this wonderful uh, stand of mature Scot uh, Scots pines at Rothy Marcus, I think it was. It was up river. So they went to the owner of the forest, who was a, a laird, I think, I can't remember what he was called, but anyway, they approached him and said, would you be interested in selling us part of the forest? So they reached a deal, and uh, so they procured, these two, two men procured this uh, substantial area of, of uh, Prime wood. It was uh, it was such good wood, and so then they had to try and get that from from the forest up near Aviemore down to to the uh, estuary of the Spey, the mouth of the Spey. So they got a hundred or a couple of hundred men cutting trees, huge trees or uh, mature trees, uh, rolling them down the banks uh, into the Spey. Uh, tying them together like rafts 
waiting for the right uh, conditions because they had to they had to not only guide them downstream uh, and and keep them away from the banks but they also had to make sure that when they arrived at uh, at Kingston at the estuary of this bay that there wasn't a north northeasterly uh, storm coming in because that that way they'd have lost all the all the wood into the Murray Firth. So that's what that's what they did. And they set up this incredible um, shipbuilding uh, business with with the ocean going schooners, and most of them sold into the tea trade. Um, and they had some they had some really big big ships. Uh, a terrible storm in 1829, I think it was, a bit later maybe, uh, that um, there was an enormous storm that, that got rid of about half of the, half of the uh, boats that they were in the process of building. And uh, those finished up scattered along the, the shores of the Mary Firth. They managed to save some of them, but... Uh, so then they went on the same two men from Kingston upon Hull, and they'd, by this time they'd built up their their workforce through local people and and local joiners and so on, and they set up a, an incredible uh, system whereby they harnessed water and wind uh, to to uh, cut those huge trees that were coming down the spay into the into the village so they had initially they had to do that by hand with pits with one man in the bottom of the pit and uh, one uh, standing above with a with a crosscut saw so heaven help the guy who was is in the bottom of the pit I think they took turn about uh, they used to drink heavily, I think, and you can imagine. <laughs> imagine. Put sawdust up their nostrils and so on. But anyway, so that went on into the early 1900s, by which time they had started building steamships. And uh, a number of steamships were, um, were built there. Uh, but over the next 20 years or, or so, the shipyards closed down and and uh, it returned to a sleepy little village with with no um uh with no real industry except for the fact that some of the artisans who were working on the on the shipbuilding effort uh, migrated to the fishing uh, industry so there was bucky and cullen and banff and mcduff where they were building uh, boats to to fish in the North Sea and and go on whaling trips. So that's where they finished up. So so the industry ended in Kingston, but certainly there were a lot of young loons mm. boys as mm-hmm. uh, so that's the Doric for boys. Right. Um who remained very industrious and adventurous and yes. and you were probably one of the ringleaders of mm. being uh, wild and uh, you had a lot of freedom to yeah. explore the area and um, and used to create quite a lot of mayhem I understand so could you tell us yeah. a little bit about your upbringing well I mean that that was a rural village in Scotland and I mean we'd know there was eventually 
one bus a week, I think. But basically, you you were stuck with your school friends. You were stuck with who lived in the village. So, and you had to amuse yourself somehow. So we were all very proficient uh, fishers. We poached, uh, we poached salmon sometimes too, and and learned how to how to uh, use a snare to catch a salmon. And um, we we helped the salmon fishing industry, which was which uh, was very active at that time, netting. Uh, salmon as it came from the North Sea into into the River Spey, but I mean we had um, we had uh, a policeman in the neighbor in the neighbouring village, Garmouth, who was quite often down chasing the boys of Kingston because we were unruly, <laughs> and we did things like one one uh, thing we loved to do was was in the baker's shop. There's a little baker's shop that was very kind of uh, cosy and cozy and um, it had a low roof and a chimney and he used to he used to bake his bread uh, and have peat in his peat in his uh, ovens to, to give the heat so we used to climb up we used to climb up on the back of this this little uh, house with a clod of turf and when he was firing up in the morning to for, for his <laughs> We used to put this turf on on the chimney, which we could just about reach from the bank at the back, uh, and so and then give him about five minutes to realise <laughs> to realise <laughs> that his place was filling up with smoke and peat peat fumes, and of course it spoiled his his bake for that day. So uh, we used to get into trouble with the policeman, who was who was a hefty sort of guy, and he would come down. Now, now, boys, he would say, he would line us all up and say, you've done it again, you've done it again. We're going to have to do something serious about this, you see. So doing something serious was having a word with our parents and, and saying, don't let him do that again. So uh, it was never really uh, taken seriously. Uh, and the other thing about the village was that there were so many, I mean, this thing of dementia and dementia, and uh, Alzheimer's and so on. It was it was there then, as as you would expect, but of course it was never looked upon as as a medical condition. It was just it was referred to as people being dotled, and and that meant that that uh, you know they would work away and because it was a village, they would look after each other. There was an old lady called uh, Miss Jackson who used to live quite close to us. And she used to boil eggs in a teapot and things uh, like that. So we used to all go around and say, have you, you have you boiled your egg in your teapot today, Miss Jackson? No, 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 she would say. But everyone kind of dropped in and helped, mm. you know. So, so it, was, it, was a good, uh, it was a good place to be, uh, to be brought up. And the nature, of course, in a, an area like that was just incredible. Spay, the Murray Firth, Dolphins in the Murray Firth, an abundance of seals, and at that time salmon used to come in in huge quantities. And um, then there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of forest land, sandy beaches, um, pebbly beaches with with uh, this huge river that scoured the the uplands, and just a lovely, lovely place. 
a variety of, of birds and nesting seabirds and sand martens and woodcocks and um, corn crakes. We used to walk to school. Um, it's about a mile to school from Kingston to Garmouth. And there would be this uh, this daily refrain of corn crakes in the cornfields and so on. Um, they're, they're not there now. They're still in um, Hebrides, I think. They still have corn crakes. But. Yeah, so that, yes, so that was the, the village. Of course, you went on from there to uh, Fokkebers was, was the secondary school we used to go to, which was about five, five miles away. And then uh, from there to uh, Aberdeen University, if, if that's what you wanted to do. I'd, I went to um, Elgin. In fact, I did, I did um, for uh, five years at Fokkebers, got some of my hires, and uh, then moved to um, Elgin Academy to, to do some more hires, and then eventually... Uh, go to uni university. So that was Marshall College in Aberdeen? That was Marshall College in Aberdeen. Some notable people there at the time. Um, Professor R.V. Jones was one of them, who wrote the um, most secret wars with uh, how the Germans managed to, to navigate uh, when they came to bomb Coventry and Glasgow and so on. So he worked out how they managed to do that. But um, so there was notable people, people there. Um, professor Mauser, he was he he was the the chemistry professor. He was a odd specimen. He wore he wore trousers that were too short for him, and he had a he had a, he had a sprout of hair like a mad professor. And he used to love. There was one experiment he did. Um, that he used a, a chanty for potty, and he used to he used to, he was quite he was quite a showman. So you would go in, you'd walk in for a, a lecture, and you'd hear this muffled voice saying, saying, "Sit down, everybody. I'm just preparing." So he would be behind his lectern, out of sight, and uh, you would hear this clinking and clanking, and all of a sudden. He would appear. He would stand out with this potty, this chanty, in his hand, brandishing it and waving it. Everyone cheered, of course. And then he had some chemical, um, chemical process that he put a six-inch nail in this potty and poured on the chemical, and it went, and there's this explosion, and the the six-inch nail used to disappear, you know, and that was. But uh, yeah, that was Aberdeen. University, a wonderful place. One of my observations there is something that's been enduring um, through your life. You you notice very particular things about people, mm. and and you retain them, and and they amuse you, and they inform you. Yeah. Um. And mm -hmm. I love that about you. I love the way that whoever it is, you will always mm. make an observation. The other thing that you will always do in a room of people. If there's somebody standing on their own, you'll go and speak to them and make a determined effort to go and speak to them. That's that's true. That's true. You, of, you often find that those are the most interesting people. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, I think, Dad, I think we need to go for a cup of coffee um, that, and end this podcast here. So thank you ever so much, Dad. I have learned so much. I thought <laughs> I knew heaps about your early life and there's stories there that I hadn't heard before. Um, and in any family, you have fables that and stories that endure yeah. through um, storytelling mm. and you're a fantastic storyteller, but um, there are things that have just you know, been so interesting to hear um, that are children we never asked and, and I think no. as children you don't ask those no, questions. No, that's right, you don't, you don't, you, you, you sort of, uh, over the years I think you suddenly, like you say, you suddenly think, wow, I had, that's not part of my family history, but uh, that's what's good about about this is is going back over the years and especially with older people is is recording and finding out what you know what changes have happened during the intervening years and yeah good well thank you very much dad mm, it's been fascinating welcome.